It was November 1998, the album Americana by Offspring. On there featured a track called Why Don't You Get a Job? Well, today we're addressing a similar question in terms of how do you get a job in L&D? Hi, I'm Raf Delanowski, and this is Click Next to Continue. Hi, and uh, welcome to another episode of Click Next to Continue. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, how to get a job in L&D. Um, it, it's something that I guess in the current climate in particular, a lot of people are looking to, to find something, um, but also handy to know, um, you know whenever you are actually going for a job. Um, on the podcast today, I've got Matt Smith. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Raf. <laughs> how are you going, Matt? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, very, very well, thank you. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the reason uh, what I'll be doing is interviewing Matt about this is over the years, um, obviously, Matt's got a lot of experience in finding really good talent. Um, and I guess he's got a tried and tested, uh, I guess, methodology of hiring. And, and I guess he knows what you should, as a candidate, put on your portfolio, your CV and all that sort of thing. So um, it'd be great to get some of your insights on, on that side of thing, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that probably take a lot of what I say with a grain of salt as well, because I think one of the important things to consider is that everyone has their own hiring style. And so different hiring managers and, and different people working in recruitment will be looking for different things and will see different red flags and be asking different questions as well. So yep. don't take what I'm saying as gospel. I'm really going to be talking about, I guess, my experiences from hiring people. Um, I've been interviewing and you know putting up job ads for about 15 years, about seven or eight of those really specifically in the learning and development uh, and change management space as well. Mm -hmm. So my style of hiring people and interviewing has changed a lot over those years. Uh, but I've seen a, a huge range of different types of CVs and application letters. I think I've looked at probably thousands of different uh, CVs and portfolios. I've interviewed hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And there's some really clear things that people should try and avoid and some really great things that, that people do that really make a difference as well. Where should and we start, Raph? Well, I was thinking that, you know, uh, I'm going to put myself uh, in the shoes of someone who is looking for a job. And I guess that the, the first question that would pop up for me um, as I'm trolling through, you know, uh, Seek, Indeed, LinkedIn and all those places is there's usually options of, of contractor roles or full-time roles. And, and I guess it'll be interesting to get your take. Um, if, if I'm someone who's unfamiliar, what are the pros and cons of, of I guess, applying for a full-time role versus maybe a contract role that's project-based or, or just time-based? I think it's, it comes down to what you're really looking for at your stage of your career or um, what you need on a personal level as well. So mm -hmm. getting a, a job that's either subcontracting to a company or contracting to a company, there is more risk there for you, but there's also more reward generally um, financially. Mm -hmm. So you might get paid a, a daily rate or a fixed fee for a contract that would be higher than you'd normally get, but you're, you're not going to have the safety net of um, you know, sick leave and vacation pay, um, superannuation or retirement funds, depending on, on where you are in the world. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it comes down if, if you want to uh, be doing that. I think there's there's a lot of really great opportunities to learn when you're contracting because you have a lot more variety 
you have the opportunity to have more variety of the types of work you do and the different mm-hmm. clients that you work for. Uh, when I've been working as a consultant years ago and going into lots of different companies, you do a year of consulting is like five years of working a full-time job just because you're thrown into so many different um, situations and, and working with so many different people. It, the pace is, is quite different as well. Whereas then with a, with a full-time job, you know, you might comes down to what you're really looking for. There's a lot more safety there. Um, You, you're locked into who you're working with. Uh, So, you know, you want to make sure that you work for a company that has the same sort of values and works the way that you want to, and is doing the type of work that you want to as well. So I think those are really the the main differences. And and to be honest, you know, um, at this point, current situation so we're recording this in may 2020 uh the the job markets really um everything's a little bit up in the air because of what's yes, happening with yep. um covid19 so uh, to be honest if i was looking for something at the moment i wouldn't be too precious about going for, for either of those i'd probably be hoping to find something that's a bit more stable while the mm-hmm. world's going through this turmoil uh but I wouldn't be turning down contract work if, if something came up. So yep. uh, I think it also depends on what's what's happening in the world too. And and I guess once I've once I've found a job that um, you know really resonates with me, um, so it's ticking all the boxes. I'm looking at it, and you know it's describing the experience I've had. It's describing the skills I have. Um, how do I shape my resume? And my cover letter so that when it comes across, you know, in a lot of cases, it's a recruitment recruitment company. Um, So it comes across the desk of the recruiter or comes across the desk of the the HR recruiting manager in the organization. How do I make my resume and my cover letter shine? Yeah. And and for international listeners, um, we're talking about CVs here as well, if you're not familiar with the term resume. Yep. if you're dealing with a recruitment agency or a you know a talent agency, a resourcing company, uh, quite often they will reformat your CV uh, and present it to the client in in a template that they have as well. And, and so in those situations, it, it, the writing is is very very important and, and making sure that you're very good at positioning yourself and differentiating yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to think about what's going to happen if someone who doesn't really know me is going to pick this up and look at it. And, 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 you know, large firms, they, they will have people that will do all this formatting. So it won't even be the person that originally spoke to you on the phone. What is this person who doesn't know me? How, what are they going to pull out of this and, and put into their template to show their client as well? So mm-hmm. you really need to be thinking about it in, in that way. That's something that a lot of people don't think about. And, and as a result, you get a lot of templated um, documents from recruiters that all, all kind of look the same. And I don't think yeah. that's at the fault of the recruiter. It's it's more about the people presenting the CVs. Mm-hmm. If you are giving a CV um, to, to an employer and directly to a hiring manager, then I think it's you don't have to make it a, a work of art. Obviously, if you, you are working in a design role, there, there's some importance there. But having something that is very clear and is really focused on showing what the the what's in it for me basically mm-hmm. um to the to your potential employer is really really important i have seen some really terrible ugly cvs that have been 
create a, you can tell the person um, doesn't have design skills and they're not applying for a design job, but they've tried to make it look really great and they've done all the, all the simple mistakes a non-designer would make. They've got five different fonts. They've got a couple of different colors maybe. I've seen a lot of um, applications that have script fonts and it's very hard to read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> images, you know, clip art, maybe Comic stock sense. photo images. It was, you know, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so I'd be looking, I'd be looking out for for those things. At the end of the day, you, you are selling yourself. You, you're not unless you're applying for a job, for writing a CV. Um, the what you really need to focus on is making sure that the information you put in there is presented really well and it's really clear on on what your skills are what your expertise is what you're looking for and what you can offer that company that's mm-hmm. what's really important when you're putting that together um a few other things I, w- I would not include really irrelevant information i'm not sure uh once i, I don't look at things like hobbies um yep. I, I do like talking to people um just generally and having a conversation in the interview process we can talk about that a, a little bit later but when i'm looking mm-hmm. at cvs I, I don't really want to have a look and see that someone plays football or they really like league of legends or something like that <laughs> i would also um something I, I used to see a lot i don't see as much anymore but 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 i wouldn't put down your star sign i used to see this a lot about six or seven years ago especially when when people with a hr background l and d um i i I think there's a, a big opportunity to be discriminated against there. Um, to be honest, I, I look at that and I straight away have a kind of a, a bit of a reaction and think, you know, how is this how, relevant? How is it relevant? But, you know, I have a bias towards this. I, I think, um, is this person going yep. to be a, a great critical thinker as well? And I, you know, my, my mind kind of jumps to all these far-fetched assumptions that may or may not be true. They have a magic happens bumper sticker and they're going to come <laughs> in and talk about crystals, you know, and that's not probably going to be the case. But um, I, I wouldn't include that. I'd also not include um, basic things that that you could be discriminated um, against for as well. You, you've got to understand that many people might see your job application and you don't want to get to a recruiter um, who, who may have a, you know, an unconscious bias and, and they mm. don't filter it through to the hiring manager who wouldn't have cared about it as well. So I'd be considering those things. Um, probably in, in the same camp as the star sign, I still see is um, your personality type. So like your Myers-Briggs, um, what, yeah. what type you are there. Um, yeah. I, I would I would not include things like that. That's pretty common. Yep. So but, no, but no a, learning style either? I don't, I don't know if I've ever had a learning style there. Uh, probably, probably have, um, but yeah, I wouldn't include uh, things like that either. Um, I would also write it from the perspective of it needs to be like a really great piece of sales copy on a website or a piece of packaging. It's it's about writing to the audience. It's it's not you're not writing your biography. Um, you need to be talking about how you are going to add value to that company and Mm -hmm. you don't want to go into too much of kind of cheesy used car salesperson mode and and try and just list off all the fantastic things about you and and put lots of flowery language about how fantastic you are and lots Mm -hmm. of buzzwords. Um, I'd be really be trying to be clear and concise. And remember, if this is a highly sought after job or or if it's a job market that's... um, you know, quite competitive like it is right now, 
hiring managers are going to be looking at a lot of CVs as well. So they don't, if they start reading a couple of paragraphs that are just crapping on about how fantastic you are and they don't really say anything really, um, Mm -hmm. they're just going to put that to the side. And it just comes down to a matter of time. They're just not going to have the time available to read every single bit of detail. So if you Mm -hmm. can really have clear headlines, people can jump to what they need, you get straight to the point, uh, I think that is going to give you a big advantage over other people. Okay. And I guess what about in that vein, sort of how much tailoring uh, should there be? And obviously for a cover letter, it should be, I guess, a fairly direct response to why you should be considered for the role. Um, But then for a resume, how much, I guess, tailoring should you do that your resume, there's a specific one that is, I guess, really directly responding to the application um, or, or can the resume, you know, be just, hey, here's my generic kind of, you know, background and experience? Yeah, I think that the definitely having a customized um, job application letter or a cover letter is really important and tailoring that to not just the role, but also the organization and also the hiring manager, if you know who they are as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think with, with the CV, generally, you you don't need to change much about it unless you are dramatically making a shift. Um, I also yep. probably should have mentioned this at the start as well, but but everything I'm saying, I'm saying in terms of people who are looking for jobs, either they're just starting out in L&D or they're looking for L&D generalist roles or working digital learning. Um, I'm not talking about executives or, um, you know, consultants who are seen as seen as experts and in high demand i'm not talking about any of that sort of stuff yeah i think that's a whole different area we can get into that if we have time um but i think in in Mm -hmm. general you know if you're applying for the same types of roles that there shouldn't be much need to um do any customization with your cv at all Uh, it's more about that cover letter and making sure that that is really hitting on the the real key points around why you want to work for that company and what you can what sort of value you can add to it Okay. And as part of that, so depending on the what your role applying, um, sometimes you need a portfolio. Um, so I guess this is when we're talking about roles that obviously have a component where it, you can't describe, you know, so visual design, animation, um, and, and topics like that. When, when is a portfolio needed and what should it include? And, and I guess how, what does a good portfolio look like? I know that's probably three questions in there, but yeah, what are your thoughts? So, yeah, this is where I might differ from a lot of people. So really take what I say here um, with a grain of salt because I don't put a lot of value in portfolios unless it is a a designer role or an animator role. But in the instructional design field, I know that there's a lot of talk. I know you can can pay for courses to um, put together portfolios. I've had lots of instructional designers send me portfolios. And, um, you know, I think that my bias comes towards how I look at the, the role of an instructional designer and, and what I think they should primarily be focused on. Um, I don't see them as a content developer. Um, I see them as as problem solvers first and foremost, and then people who are able to determine training needs and if training is the right solution, then then build great things on that. If, if I am looking at someone's work, if, let's start off with instructional designers, I, I, I want to be hearing the story behind it. 
I want to be hearing about what yep. their input was. Very, It's very rare unless you're hiring someone who's been a freelancer and had to work completely by themselves. It, it's very rare to see a portfolio and that's 100% all of their work. Other people have been involved in that. And on any any project, mm-hmm. even if you're a, a solo contractor, you're still collaborating with subject matter experts. Sometimes your work, you might not be happy with pieces of your work because you had to make trade-offs. Um, so... I like to have conversations about that sort of stuff. I don't put too much stock in that, but I know other people would. Um, and it really comes down to, I think, what that person's looking for in that role and what the role's for. They might be looking for certain visual styles if it's an e-learning role. Uh, so I would try and have as much variety in there as possible to show that you're quite mm-hmm. quite broad. Yep. Um, or if you're very familiar with that company and that that hiring manager and what their preferences are or you think you have, you know, maybe you want to take a risk and be very specific with it. Um, but more than anything, I'd be wanting to tell the stories behind each piece of work. I'd be wanting to say, what is what is the problem we're trying to solve here? Who was the audience? How, why did I choose this solution over everything else? Why did I, if, if it is something visual, why did mm-hmm. I choose this visual style over something else? Uh, and then I'd really like to hear what, what came about from from releasing it. So this is something that has tripped okay. up a lot of people in, in interviews when I ask them. They might say, oh, I got some really great feedback from the stakeholders, but they have no input at all from the actual end user, the audience. And um, I, for, for me, that's a, a little red flag that, that pops up. Um, I think it's very important to be thinking about the people we're actually designing training for. And I'd say... Um, You'd really also want to be talking about, at least thinking about when you're putting your portfolio together, what would I have done better uh, now? Because that's a that's a common question that pops up. It's definitely a question I would ask. I would say this project you've said is from two years ago. With the extra yep. two years of experience, how would you change it? Um, or you know, what do you really like about it? I'd really be thinking about the questions that would come out of that portfolio as well. And, and that really neatly, I guess, moves into the next question is, is how do you prepare for an interview? So you, you've obviously gotten through the initial selection. Your, your resume has been, I guess, successful to get you uh, into an interview. Obviously, depending on the organization, they have slightly different flows. So maybe there's an initial interview and then kind of uh, more formal ones down the line. But how do you prepare for that initial, I guess, face-to-face or, or at the moment, Zoom-to-Zoom yep. Zoom, uh, contact with the, the person that's, I guess, going to be evaluating um, you for that role? Yeah, and, it's, and it is. It's a little bit different now. And I think it's really important. I think this is important anyway to realize that the person interviewing you may also be nervous. I know when I first started hiring people, uh, it's it's quite a nervous experience. You, you think you're going to stuff up and look like an idiot. Um, it, there's nothing more terrible than if you uh, are terrible interviewing someone and the person you're trying to hire for a job says, actually, I don't want this job because you sound completely incompetent. So you, you've got to think that, you know, th- this person, some people might be going in there with a big ego and kind of lording this kind of power over you. And I think that would be a red flag for you for, for not wanting to work there. But a lot of other people, yep. a lot of great managers would, would really be, um, you know, have, have a bit of nervousness on their side. And I think even more so now if they're not used to interviewing people over Zoom or over the phone. And they, even if they're an experienced interviewer, they may be struggling with it a little bit. So I'd be considering that. And I think if you can find opportunities to make that as easy for them as possible, that's going to help you. Um 
So if you can make the conversation become a little bit easier, if you can make sure that there's no technical difficulties or you don't have any technical difficulties on your end, I yep. think that's really important. In terms of preparing before you start, um, I know I've I've done this in the past, but I'm not a big fan of it um, kind of anymore is looking up people on social media. Um, I'm a bit uncomfortable with yeah. looking up people that you're trying to hire, but I think it is perfectly fair and, and reasonable and I think everyone should do it. If you're applying for a job, finding out who the hiring manager is and if the ad is on LinkedIn, it will actually tell you and link to their profile. Um and also, you know, sometimes it will be a, a recruiter that's listed there. It's very easy to find out on LinkedIn who runs that department and have a look at their LinkedIn profile, have a look at their activity mm-hmm. section and see what they've commented on, what they've liked. And it gives you a little bit of a sense of, of who they are. And it also gives a sense of their preferences. Now, I'm not talking about... Mm-hmm. You know, you see they commented on an article and you bring it up in the interview and say, oh, I read a really interesting article the other day. And um, I don't mean any sort of dodgy stuff like that. It's just really about kind of getting a sense of who you're going to work for and understanding that business a little bit better. And that's probably the, the, mm-hmm. the other big one is just knowing more about that company. If you're applying for a yes. big, well-known company, um, I would still research because you might have some assumptions about that company that could be wrong. Uh, if you're applying for something you, you've never heard of before, I'd, I'd really try and learn as much as you can. It's very easy. You can look at their their social media accounts and see how they're marketing themselves, but then also have a look at, you know, who is their competition? How actually do they make money? Um, how long have they been around for? How, how Who founded them? Who runs it? And just have a look at, you know, how they've contributed to, you know, articles in newspapers or what, what sort of stuff PR have they got around the place. I think that's really good for you to help you determine if that's a place you want to work. I think that's really good to help you think of some really good questions um, for the interview. And I think that that helps you frame up the way that you want to position yourself in the interview as well to show how you can add value to that company. So I think those are, are pretty important. Then there's all the standard stuff around, you know, being presentable, things like that. It's not super relevant right mm-hmm. now, but thinking about when you're outside the building, both before and after the interview, I would still think of that as the interview. There's been plenty of times where I've gone to get a coffee and I've come back and I've shared an elevator with someone I'm going to end up interviewing um, or seeing someone outside. And sometimes I've seen them, you know, uh, and I've got a bad first impression of them before I've walked in there because they're, I've, mm. you know, seen people, you know, spitting in the street and things like that. Um, it, it's it's hard to kind of come back from that, you know. Um so I'd really be considering that. And then the flip side can be if they have a really great impression of you um, before that, that interview. Mm-hmm. I remember I went for a job interview long, long time ago. And at the end of the interview, I got some good feedback and I ended up getting the job. But one of the good bits of feedback was um, when they came to get me, I was having a conversation. It was a shared office and I was having a conversation with someone who was in the waiting room and she had a baby and as you know about me, Raph, I love babies. Um, I was, <laughs> yep. I, we were just having a conversation. I think I, my first child was only um, pretty young at that point. And, um, you know, the, the feedback I got was, well, it seemed like you're, you know, a really nice kind of engaging person as well. And, and that's what we want in this mm. role is we need people to be able to talk to a lot of people from a, a wide variety of, um, you know, different different backgrounds so you know Mm -hmm. that wasn't intentional i was just struck up a conversation with someone but that created a really good first impression for that hiring manager um which which then ended up helping me so i'd really be thinking about those things if you're sitting in the waiting room and really really nervous 
um, the receptionist is is looking at you. The boss might ask the receptionist what they thought about you. Um, yeah. And you know, I've heard uh, ha- I've heard stories of you know people getting staff to sit in the waiting room and and have unofficial interviews and things like that. I don't know how much of that really happens oh, these okay. days, but I've um, I've definitely known about that stuff sort of happening in the past. So be be aware of those things. Yeah, and just on on that sort of you know point of presentability, especially now with Zoom, like have a bit of a play with your Zoom meeting setup. Um, like if you're sitting in a dark room and it's all dark, like it just doesn't give a warm first impression of kind of, you know, this dark room, this darkly lit face. So actually give some thought around that as well because it is part of that first impression. So um, I have I have interviewed people, um, I've been interviewing people over video calls for, for, for years and, you know, I've, I've hired people without even meeting them in person. Um, but I've had, mm. I've had interviews with people who have, just done it from their computer in their bedroom and I can see their bed in the background and it's not made and it's messy and, you know, things <laughs> like that, which that, that doesn't mean they're going to be a um, a bad employee or a good employee or, or anything. Um, mm. I personally am not a great person at making my bed in the morning, but uh, what I will say is, you know, if you're interviewing with a, a recruiter or, or someone who does have, very high values around that. You don't know what that person's biases are going to be and what their preferences are. So you, you just don't want to give yourself any any room for failure. It, mm-hmm. You know, someone might be fine with you calling in from your messy bedroom. I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk it. Make your bed. You know, move yeah. the webcam so it's facing the corner of your room. Put down your, you know, yep. your uh, Bon Jovi poster, whatever. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely take down the uh, Bon Jovi uh, poster. Um, so now thinking, I guess, about that that first impression, I guess now it's kind of going into that formal interview environment. How how can someone put their best foot forward? Um, you know, the, I guess the, the traditional thing used to be a firm handshake, um, which these days is a bit outdated and, and actually quite dangerous. So I guess if you like to live dangerous, you can put your hand out for a handshake. But how do you put your best foot forward going into that interview? So before I guess you've had a chance to start answering questions, this is, hi, Raph, welcome. Let's have a chat. And I'm walking through the door and sitting down or whatever it happens to be. How, how do you put that best foot forward? I think it's a little bit harder over phone calls and and Zoom. Not, maybe not harder. It's, it's different... Um, I think there's a lot more leeway at the moment because every most people are kind of doing this for the first couple of times. So I think mm-hmm. at the moment, if you're doing a Zoom call or a phone call, I'd just be focused on being warm and friendly, having a good tone of voice, um, not trying not to be uh, as you know so so nervous, and and just trying to start off with a, just a nice conversation. If if the interviewer asks you how you're going have a good conversation about it. Ask them how they're going, you know, mm. make a comment about how crazy things at the moment are, uh, you know, know any good Netflix shows to watch. You know, you don't want to just kind of get into small talk for 30 minutes, but just start off the conversation like any any first meeting, like a first date. Just start off a good in a good way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I guess on rolling on from you know starting off in a good way when when you are interviewing someone and I guess you know asking the questions and having those conversations, what are you looking for in terms of the the person's responses, um, and, and I guess you know both around what they're saying, their body language, tone, mm-hmm. um, honesty. 
um, what what are the key things to to be really mindful of? Yeah, and once again, I mean, this is absolutely just just what I'm looking for. So um, other people will be different, but definitely looking for I. I I am a pretty self-conscious person and, and get nervous at things. So I have, you know, I give people a big pass if they are nervous. I don't really hold that against them. I'm probably kind of too much the other way. If someone's overconfident, I start to kind of worry about kind of what's what's behind that. Um, I look for, I do like really intelligent conversations. The way I interview is I like to just have a conversation Um I think some red flags that I would mm-hmm. see. So if I'm looking at a portfolio or if there's been an activity involved in the recruitment process and we're looking at it, I like to give feedback. And uh, I think that comes down to kind of the, you know, the, the teams I've run. It's very much about everyone being able to give each other feedback, no matter what their position is, things like that. Those, those are values that are really important to function well within the team and, and for the company. So mm-hmm. I try and think about how do I, find out about that sort of stuff and see how people will, will work with the way we want to work. And so I give feedback, I ask questions. And if someone's getting defensive about feedback, um, that can be a bit of a, a red flag. And, you know, that might translate yeah. into, if that's happening in an interview, that, that's going to translate into working life. And I think that's a real problem. Um, that can really limit the quality of your work and that can cause problems uh, with your teammates as well. Uh, so I love when I'm, I'm giving feedback and mm-hmm. people will not just say, oh, yeah, that's good feedback. I, I, I don't mind if they push back on it in a really intelligent way and say, well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Matt, but the reason I did it this way yeah. is blah, blah, blah. I've had some really good situations there. Um, what I wouldn't say is just kind of pushing back and saying, no, you're completely wrong. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or... Or just nodding and smiling. Yeah, or, or blaming other people. You know, if people aren't taking ownership and they're saying, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, I worked with Fred on this and Fred wanted to do that and I really told him didn't want to, um, I would generally follow that up with, well, what actions did you take to um, communicate that to Fred? And then that will, that will turn into a whole other conversation. Mm. Um and usually it just turns out that person was just getting a bit defensive. So I'd really be looking out for things like that. Mm. I personally like questions. I like it when people come with questions. Yes. Um, you can tell, even if they're in their head, you can tell when people have come prepared and that's really good. So going back to what we are talking about before about preparing, mm-hmm. um, I'm okay with people having a list of questions in front of them. I think it shows that they're prepared and they care. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard some other people aren't. I, I don't think it's a deal breaker. If you want to bring in questions, bring in questions. Um, I think... Asking questions about the job is really good. A red flag for me is when someone asks questions, but the questions are only about what's in it for them. Yeah. So when it's about, it's it's okay to ask questions about pay, mm-hmm. but but if they're just asking questions about pay, do I get a phone? Do I get this? Will I have opportunity to this? What sort of training do I get? If it's just about them, that's a red flag for me because that means that, that's going to translate into the job. Yeah. Um, you can ask some of those questions, Definitely, you're you're not doing this job for free. It needs to be something beneficial for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're not asking questions about the type of work you'll be doing, who you'll be working with, you know, who your clients are, if you're a vendor, um, any of that sort of stuff, then that shows that you're not that 
that passionate enough about the work or you are not that interested. You're just looking for a job. You're looking for the, the money side. Yep. And, you know, there has to be a balance. It's, it's a two-way deal. Everyone should be getting something out of um, the employment. Mm-hmm. You know, the business should be getting the value of your great work, at your different perspective. And as an employee, you should be getting money, obviously, and the benefits that come with with employment. Um, but you should also be getting things like opportunities to grow and develop and change your career and learn from people. Mm. And to that, that point around questions, I was actually going to be the next thing I'd talk, uh, ask you about was, when someone is in the interview and, and you get that, give them that opportunity to ask their own questions, um, what are the types of questions or, or, or some examples of, of questions that like really showed you that the candidate was, you know, really switched on and asking really clever stuff? Like what are the questions that you've kind of gone and, oh, that's, a, that's actually a really, really good question. Uh, I know whenever it was mm-hmm. someone, you know, asked a question, the, the default response is, oh, yeah, that's a good question. But like the genuinely good questions, do you have some examples of, of those? Yeah. Uh, I think I love it when people talk about process. Um, so they ask about, you know, what's our process? How, how do we work? Mm-hmm. That I think, you know, shows a real interest uh, in it. But what it shows an interest in the work and it shows, uh, you know, an interest in, in working um, with that company, but it also shows an interest in the process. And I think that's incredibly important. If someone is smart and is reflecting on how they're working and how their colleagues are working, they'll find ways to improve that as well. So that's something that I really value in in someone who's working with me. So mm-hmm. that sort of questioning is is really, really great. Um, I like the questions that are kind of really just kind of digging into the, the type of work, um, you know, who, who are the clients that you work for? Or I've had people ask, like, what's the proudest kind of piece of work that you guys have done? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, who's your favorite client? I think that sort of stuff is is interesting sometimes i've got the impression that it's kind of someone's read that in a blog post somewhere and they're just asking it because um you know or they've heard it on this podcast yep um yep. and they're just asking it because someone said they should should ask it but other times when it is has been quite genuine and a conversation develops into that i think that's really good mm-hmm. probably the um the point about asking smart questions is if you come in with a list of questions and you just rattle off 12 questions um, that's good. That can be impressive if there's really good questions. But what's more impressive is if each com- each question turns into a conversation as well. Mm-hmm. And yep. there's there's just a natural back and forth and, and the person, you know, both parties kind of ask each other um, questions kind of based on that initial question. So that is is really good. If you can make an interview as an interviewee, make an interview flow like a conversation and the interviewer walks away thinking, oh, there's a whole bunch of things that are on my list that I didn't didn't ask, but that was really productive and that didn't feel like it was half an hour or an hour. Yep. Um, that, that's that's really good. That means it's going to be memorable for them. Um, they're going to walk away with the impression that you're going to be great to work with. Um, so, yeah, I'd be thinking about that sort of stuff. I, I think the way you ask questions is really important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are really good about asking about money. Other people are pretty bad with it. So yep. I would just say, you know, you really want to be, you don't want to be too shy about it, but you also don't want to be too aggressive about it. Yes. It's, it's really hard to achieve that balance. I don't know if I'm really, would be particularly great at kind of asking those sort of questions as well. Yeah. I, I personally, as someone hiring people, uh, don't mind if someone asks straight away. In fact, you know, and I, I think all job ads should have 
the salary in them. Yes. Um, I've certainly been guilty of writing job ads that don't have the salary in them just because that's what I was told to do when I first got shown how to write a job ad. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, like I said before, we're not doing this for free. We, we should know what the price is. Uh, you know, if we go to the supermarket, we know how much an apple is before we buy it. Mm-hmm. We should know how much we're going to be offered uh, before we walk into the interview. Mm-hmm. That could be a range, um, but you don't want to be wasting your time interviewing for jobs that are, going to underpay you yeah absolutely and and it's actually sort of related to to my next question so obviously the interview process it is a two-way street so um Mm -hmm. the the person hiring gets to learn more about the candidate have a good conversation and i guess they're they're sitting there evaluating is this person the right fit is the right experience etc at the same time as an interviewee you're, you're sort of in that same position um, so you, you're evaluating if the job's the right fit, if the company's the right fit, um, and, and kind of evaluating, hey, is this something to sort of keep moving forward? And in some cases, as the interviewee, you're going to arrive at, look, I don't think this is right for me. Um, how do you, I guess, tackle that conversation? Yeah, I'd probably approach it from the point of view of um, this isn't right for me right now. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to um, burn that bridge. I wouldn't, I'm not a big fan of um, using this sort of stuff as like a, a negotiating tactic. Yeah. So I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm not saying don't turn down a job so they can offer you more money. Yeah. I don't think that that that's really good, but that can work, but I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's definitely just something that you've decided, no, either I, you know, I just really don't want to work for this person or there's, once I've learned a bit more about the role, it's really helped me understand that it's just not the direction I want to take my career in. Mm. Well, then I'd be saying it's just uh, just being honest, really, mm. as respectful and honest as possible. I think the the thing you've got to consider is um, how much discovery have you done before you went to that interview as well? Could you mm. have done more? If, if you've gone into that interview and they've really liked you and they want to hire you and you turn them down and you didn't ask any questions before you got to the interview, but you had the opportunity to, mm. you are going to look a little bit bad. Yep. So I'd be, be trying to, it's like a sale, you know, you want to qualify the sale before you go in there and, and waste your time trying to sell it yep. and realizing it's not the right kind of product or service. So really think about, you know, finding out as much as you can beforehand. And, you know, if you've, if you do like the job and the place, but you got offered another place and, you know, it was just more money or something like that, um, I just, once again, just be just be open and honest because you never know. You know, you may want to go work there again. Mm-hmm. They may have another role that pops up. So I'd be very clear in explaining what your direction wants to be. So, you know, I've gone for this job and it sounded really great. I just feel like with my experience and my career, um, I'm looking more for something where I'm managing multiple projects rather than something of this size at the moment. Um, really, you know, sorry, things haven't worked out, yep. blah, blah, blah. In two months time, they might have a, a program director role available for you and they call you and say, uh, this has popped up. We haven't advertised it yet. Thought about you. We love the interview. Let's have a chat. So yep. you definitely don't want to be burning the, the bridges just based on one role you didn't want. And I think, you know, that that's always one thing to keep in mind that especially in the L&D community, it is still, I guess, relatively small. So in my experience anyway, the people that I built connections with, you know, 12 years ago are still constantly popping up, um, be it at other organizations mm-hmm. where I'm working for or organizations that I've interviewed at or something like that. So it is important to remember that 
you want to maintain a good relationship, um, even though if the current conversation doesn't quite work. And um, mm. and what about, so the interview's gone really great, you're very excited, uh, and then you're sitting there, and it's a week later, and you haven't heard anything, or maybe it's two days later, or in my case, 24 hours later, and you're sitting there going, why don't they love me? Um, what's, I guess, a, an appropriate way of following up, and, and, and how do you, I guess, not seem you know too, too pushy uh, with following up, but interested? Uh, yeah, I, I would... You know, recruiters are very good generally at explaining what the process is and when they'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. So um, if they've set some really clear timelines around it, I'd wait for those and I'd give them, you know, maybe a day afterwards maybe. Um, if it's directly with the hiring manager, I know that's something that I've been pretty terrible at in the past is kind of communicating the deadlines and, to be honest, sticking to those and getting back to people on time. Yeah. Um, when I haven't worked with an internal recruiter, um, that's why I like to have someone involved in that to kind of um, fill that that deficiency that I have. Um, <laughs> I think in those cases, you know, just, just be respectful and and conduct yourself like you would if you're working for that person and just follow up and i think that you know i've never taken that personally if if i'm at fault and i haven't communicated something um that's that's a reflection on me that's not a reflection on the person so um it doesn't matter how they respond to me in that way that's um uh, i won't hold that against them for sure i'm in the wrong there so yeah I, i think just being respectful you know following all the the simple rules that you'd follow in business to chase something up uh i'd be doing that um if you don't hear back from them after you know a couple of times or a couple of weeks i would just be forgetting about it and and moving on really Mm. either something very dramatic has happened and um you know and and they're just unable to contact you or it's you haven't got the job and they're just not bothering to get back to you yeah And, and i guess on that same sort of aspect so whenever you do come out of interview and if you weren't successful you haven't heard back um, I guess probably even, you know, trying to follow up to get some feedback so you can gain something out of that interview. So I think that's something that you can probably reasonably ask if you've either not heard back for a while and just kind of go, and you know, assuming I haven't been successful, uh, but like, can I get a little bit more understanding of why and, and sort of any sort of learnings I can take away from that? Um, and then obviously mm-hmm. if, if they've told you you're not successful, kind of being able to go, yep, can we kind of, you know, get get a bit of more understanding of, of why exactly um, just so you can take that knowledge moving forward, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I I always like when someone follows up with some some questions about it. Mm-hmm. I, I have had some people do it pretty passive, pass, in a passive-aggressive way. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't look great. It's like, well, can you tell me why? And like I've had people um, send me letters or, or emails saying, uh, well, you know, look at all this experience how how could you have found someone with more experience than me and um being yeah basically saying you know it's how on earth could you find someone better than me for this job yep. i think that makes the person look really really bad yeah i'd say the thing about going for a job is it's it's not an equal playing field it's not a case of everyone it's just based on experience and skills it's it's really a very personalized thing. Yes. You know, each hiring manager is looking for a very specific person based on the culture of the company, who they are, how they run their team, 
what is involved in that role, what they think makes that role successful. And that that differs from every industry, but also every company and every mm-hmm. job as well. So with that in mind, you know, it's and I know this is a lot easier to say than do, but it wouldn't take it too personally if you don't get accepted for a job that you felt really, you know, excited about. It doesn't mean that you're not great at doing that specific role. It just means that you weren't, you know, it's it's kind of cliched saying the right fit. And that's probably, um, that's bad feedback to give to someone that they're not yeah. the right fit. Um, probably a, I'm trying to think of some better language around that. It's it's really just, you know, you're just not the right match for all the different attributes and all the different things that they're looking for. Um, doesn't mean to say that you wouldn't be awesome in that job. Maybe be even better in that job than the person they hired. But mm. it, it's, a, it's a real personal thing. So like I said at the start of the call about kind of taking my advice with a grain of salt, if you do get feedback from someone else, you know, unless it is very direct about something that you did very poorly um, that really turns absolutely everyone off, like, um, you know, you you talked at a million miles an hour and no one can understand you at all or, mm-hmm. you know, who, who knows. Um, unless it's something like that, then I, I would just be really kind of reflecting on it and you know, assessing if that's if that's feedback that you should apply to absolutely everything. Yep, yep. And I think, you know, feedback is a, is a whole nother exciting topic. But yeah, one of the things is, is having that self-awareness of, of what feedback is actionable and, and what feedback is something you can take on board and, and definitely, you know, process, but then go, hey, that actually doesn't reflect on who I am. Because again, to that, you know, some organizations, you may not be a, a fit in terms of personality or, or that sort of approach and that's not a case of hey you know change your personality to fit with this culture it's a case of okay great now i understand more about that company hmm. um so really really great um tips so far i think any i guess closing remarks around you know people someone who's currently looking for a job or, or someone who's currently in a job and thinking about making a move into a new role in, in an L&D? I, I think at the moment uh Probably my biggest thing would just be to look out for people trying to take advantage of other people. I am hearing stories, especially in the contracting space, about people being offered very low wages. And and that's really sad to hear that people Mm -hmm. are kind of taking advantage of, you know, the current unemployment rates around the world. And um, it's it's just no good. And I hope people remember who those those companies are and, and don't work with them in the future. But I'd be looking out for things like that. I'd be very, um, you know, vocal about looking for, it's it's not, don't be embarrassed about, you know, not having employment at the moment. Uh, I'd be very vocal mm-hmm. about it. Uh, I'd be be active on social media looking around, but I would also recognize that the whole world outside of LinkedIn, especially. Um, so there's a lot yep. of other ways to find jobs. I would mm-hmm. be turning on my um looking for opportunities uh, option in LinkedIn. Um, you can set it so only recruiters can see it if you don't want to be public, but I'd just make it public. Um, and I would also be just, the biggest tip I'd say is really look at what is your positioning? How do you want to position yourself? And it depends on what mm-hmm. stage you're at in your career and what sort of role you're looking for. If you're in early stage of your career or you're looking for generalist roles, um, you want to be pretty broad and and show a lot of value that you can add as you kind of move, um, kind of get longer in your career and more specialized or be kind of develop more expertise. You, you want to be a bit more narrower as well. So yeah. I just say if, if you are someone who has a bit of that narrow positioning, that maybe you, 
you know, and, and you have been looking for work for quite some time, maybe you do need to broaden that out uh, a little bit because maybe you are scaring some people away. So just mm. have, a, have a think about how you're portraying yourself um, to, the, to the world and, you know, don't, not a huge fan of things like, you know, your personal brand and things like that um, in the kind of the manufactured kind of sense. But everything we do and every yep. interaction we have um, online, in public, with people in the industry, that, that does that does create an image of you as well. So just consider those things too. Fantastic. That's a really, really great tips there. And, um, and uh, I really appreciate you sharing, I guess, all those tips with people. Um, if anyone is out there uh, looking for a job currently, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this podcast will uh, give you a few little gems. Um, and, and from here, as always, um, if you have any further questions, if you have any feedback, um, please do not hesitate to reach out to us to have a bit of a chat. Um, we're always happy to sort of follow up any questions. And if you want to point out that we've said something wrong, please do so as well because that's feedback and, and we love feedback. And uh, uh, thanks so much, Matt. Uh, really great having you back on the podcast. Thank you, Raf. It's uh, been a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks, everyone, and happy job hunting. Next to continue.